Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. A couple months ago, I started receiving some strange emails. I'd open up my inbox, and I'd see a letter from some farmer saying, Hi, yes, we have one cow for sale Uh, but she won't be ready to go for a month or so. Or, yes, we have a couple for sale. Check our website and take a look at what's available. I thought to myself, hmm, these emails must have crossed. I'm not interested in buying a cow. And then I realized all these emails were to my wife. For a long time, Kay has toyed with the idea of getting a family cow. In the past, we tried the whole dairy goat thing, and we had a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And all along, we kept asking ourselves, all the effort we're putting into getting milk, why don't we just get a cow? Well, it's been a few years, and this idea has been brewing, and it's finally coming to a head. So it was time for the two of us to have a discussion. Should we have a family cow? That's the discussion that we're going to have in today's episode of Homesteading. Does it make sense for a homestead family to get a cow? Let's find out in today's episode of Homesteady. The world that we live in is a crazy place, but you and me, we can each make it a little better. We can live a more sustainable life. We can become more self-sufficient. We can get more connected with the planet around us. And we can do all of this together. So everybody, cozy up. It's time for another episode of Homesteady. Now, before we dive into this topic of the family cow, I just want to mention a couple quick things. There is some huge changes coming to the Homesteady Show, especially the podcast, but also over on YouTube. And we're going to have a nice announcement at the end of this episode to tell you all of that. So if you're a big fan of Homesteady and you want to know the news that's coming, stay put. We'll tell you all that later. Now let's get back to cows. Me and Kendra have been at this homesteading endeavor long enough now to know the right way to buy an animal. 
So get your notepad and paper, because here's how to do it. You start in your research phase. You read as many books, you follow blogs, you watch YouTube videos. You dive into the subject and you try to absorb as much as possible through the osmosis of content. Now all that is great, but the fact is you can only really get an idea of what this animal is going to be like when you go and see it. So the next step is to surround yourself with this animal as much as possible. Go on field trips. Touch the animal. See how it's handled. See what people's lives are like when they have this animal. See what their farms and their homesteads look like. Does this animal make their life a mess? Does it make the place a mess? Does this animal take over their life? Is this animal a perfect addition, a nice little hobby? Does this animal seem to make their life better? You want to know this before bringing that animal onto your farm. Talk to the people. Ask questions. And so this is what we decided we needed to do. It was time to stop watching YouTube videos about cows and go on some field trips. We wanted to find people who had a family cow or who worked with cows and figure out if they were going to be a good fit for our family. And so the search began for someone who could share with us what it was like to have a family cow. That search led us to Deb. Somebody I used to milk with said milking cows is worse than being married. <laughs> he had gone through two or three bad marriages. And I say there are good marriages out there and there are a lot of advantages to good marriages. And there are a lot of advantages to the needs of a cow. If owning a family cow is like getting married, then before you jump into the family cow, you should probably court the idea, right? Just like you would court a future wife or husband. And that's what we've been doing lately. We've been spending a lot of time courting cows at local dairy farms and homesteads, visiting people who are living the lifestyle of the family cow. And the family cow is definitely a lifestyle because owning a cow kind of takes over your whole life. You know, you do need to provide regular feed and, and uh, care for them, and you need to obviously milk them. And it's, there are creatures of habit, they need to be milked fairly regularly. Um, if you want to get the optimum production and have the happiest on, in the world cows, you need to milk them at the same time, in the same way by the same person every day. Deb, the main farmer at our local farm, a dairy farm in Connecticut, knows that the best way to get the best out of your cows is to keep to a very strict routine, same person, same time, every day. But like any good marriage, a little bit of flexibility can help the relationship. However, if I arranged that for my cows, it would be... Um, I would be miserable and I wouldn't be taking or loving my cows like I should. So my cows have to be flexible. And we, we, you know, I don't get optimum production out of them. 
but we like each other. <laughs> it's like a good marriage, right? <laughs> Give and take. You don't get, has to be she flexible. doesn't get optimum production out of me, but we love each other. <laughs> yeah. He's got to be flexible. All good marriages require flexibility because you're two different people from two different backgrounds. Sometimes you're so different you can't even imagine that you would have come together in the first place. And that is a lot like Deb and running a dairy farm. You see, Deb wasn't someone who wanted to run a dairy farm. In fact, for a good part of her life, she was a vegan. I have a confession. I was a vegan before I got into cows. No way. It was for health reasons. Health reasons. It was only philosophical health reasons. <laughs> I wasn't suffering anything. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't driven to it. And then I fell in love with cows. And I couldn't be a vegan anymore because it just seemed hypocritical. <laughs> To, to not accept their gifts. She fell in love with cows, and now she finds herself, every day, here at the barn, doing the same thing, milking her cows, which is what she does through most of our interview. I figured the whole episode, the whole point of this show, is to help you figure out whether or not you might be interested in having a family cow. And so instead of doing a recording in a studio somewhere, I'd leave the background noise in, the sound of the cow being milked. If it drives you crazy, well then I helped you figure it out. No, cows are not right for you. But if that rhythmic sound of the warm milk hitting the metal pail, if it soothes you, if it feels comforting, then maybe you should start courting cows too. You might wind up like Deb, falling in love with them and starting a dairy farm. So I, I started local farm in 1990. With a couple friends. 1990? Yeah. By 1991, it was just Deb. They'd all split up. And that's when she got her license to sell raw milk. And so I did that for 20 years. You know, uh, sold raw milk. But more and more, I realized the very best milk is from your own cow. So I started giving workshops on keeping a family cow. And now that's my main focus. That's awesome. Is uh, getting people and cows together. Her main focus, she describes as getting people and cows together. She sounds a lot like a matchmaker. She's the kind of matchmaker who's looking to help you find your soulmate. Something more than a one milk stand. Get it? <laughs> she wants to help you figure out whether or not cows are right for you and your family because she knows how good of an influence they can be on the right family. What does a family cow do for a family? Other than the obvious, which is give them this delicious milk. Well, it depends on the family. But most people who come into it have really thought it out. And so they're ready to make those lifestyle changes you were asking about earlier. And they stay home more. Um, For their children, it offers a wonderful, wonderful opportunity of having meaningful chores to do. You know, when you have a live animal depending on you, 
there's a you know that's 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 a needed chore whereas washing the dishes is questionable <laughs> or anyway that's was my fight as a kid you know I was asked to help out in the with the family but I couldn't see any link to how it was really helping doing anything we've seen this with our family homesteading does provide real work for your kids that they can have a difference doing they can take care of their animals, and they can see immediate results. You feed, you water your chickens daily, you keep their coops clean, and every morning, there are some eggs. And we go a step further with our children, we let them sell their eggs, so they can see that reward can equal an income for them. Maybe teaching them in the future the importance of hard work and making a living. A family cow can have a big difference on more than just the kids of the family. One family, who had a cow, the husband and wife would leave the kids alone in the morning and go out and milk the cow. And with one on one side and the other on the other side, they would plan their day, you know. And that was their, their quiet start of the day routine. The cow thrives on regularity and it also brings a little regularity to us in our fast-paced lives and it makes us slow down because she needs to be tended to. A slowdown from our fast-paced life. I feel like that's why so many of us come to the homesteading lifestyle. And yes, a cow is a great way to force ourselves to slow down our life and enjoy it. But there are other ways too. For any of us who are out there who want to be more homesteady, but maybe we can't do the family cow thing, Deb noticed that even just buying from a local farm made a difference in the lives of her customers. And some of my customers uh, would say that being, being a raw milk customer was uh, had a profound effect in their life because they would buy their milk the same day every week and come to the farm to pick it up. And so bringing the kids to the farm was like a special time. But it didn't stop there. They'd get the milk home and they'd separate the cream off the top and they'd make butter as a family. And then they'd use some of the skim milk for making bread. And it was like every day of the week they had a special milk-related activity in their home. That really impacted their life. And so it made them, they spent more time together at home. And, and they didn't even own the cow. <laughs> so this is the big question that Kendra and I are facing. We've experienced this connection with raw milk, going once a week to our local farm, getting outside of the car, staring at the animals, walking around the place, smelling the fresh air filled with that warm cow scent. You don't need to own a cow to enjoy the benefits of a cow, of fresh milk. You can take the time, go visit the farm, bring the product home, make cheese, make yogurt. You can enjoy all those things for just a couple dollars a week. So why would anybody in their right mind decide, you know what, instead of just paying a few dollars a week for this delicious fresh milk and doing whatever I want with it, I want to own a cow. I want the responsibility of a giant mammal on my property that needs daily care every day 
365 days a year, no vacations, no day off. Oh man, as I listened back to that description, I realized that sounds an awful like what my wife is dealing with, being married to me. Gives a whole new meaning to the expression, why buy the cow? Anyways, this is the question facing us now. Does our family really need another giant mammal to take care of? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. I get lots of people saying, you know, milking a cow's on my bucket list. Can I come, can I come milk a cow? And, and some come to our workshops. We offer two family cow workshops a year. Okay. Uh, and, and I will do that for like a family too. I had a family say, you know, I, we can't wait till June. Yeah. And I said, well, I'll do the whole thing for you. Oh, you wow. know, if, if you pay. We did the whole workshop just for two, for a couple. <laughs> so what advice do you, when people first call you and they say, I'm thinking about, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking about this. What advice would you give the person who's just at that beginning stage of thinking about it? I'd say come to our workshop. I invite people to test milk my cows if they're getting serious about buying a cow. Yeah. I say go and visit as many farms in your area and get to know your farmers. Get to know your neighbors who are farmers, who, who do cows for a business, because they're gonna be your number one asset, you know. And a lot of people who have family cows have a bad attitude towards commercial farmers, uh -huh. and you have to get over that. Yeah. You have to get over that. Most farmers are really happy to share their knowledge, uh, and really happy to encourage, you know, happy that anybody's interested. <laughs> Deb is the kind of farmer who is more than happy to share her knowledge with anyone who's interested. And we were very interested. You see, Deb is someone who raises mini jerseys. Mini jerseys are very popular right now, especially amongst the homesteaders, because they give you the benefits of a jersey cow, but in a smaller package and easier to handle. And so me and Kay are trying to figure out, is the mini jersey the right homestead cow for us? You see, there are a ton of benefits to the mini jersey, but they're also a very premium product. People ask a lot of money for them. And so we started to pick Deb's brain on the mini jersey breed. Mine are mid-sized minis. They're not full minis because they're not short enough. I, like I, said, I think it's a good size. Though, they're a lovely you size. You don't have to sit on the floor to milk. Yeah, but they're not and you don't have to have a goat stand to milk exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I really like this size, and they're good keepers, and their personalities are really mellow. I, I really like that. They were very mellow animals. In their presence, I felt totally calm. The kids were around, walking behind the animals, petting the animals, and I wasn't worried. But there's a lot more benefits to this mini jersey than just its size and attitude. Do you grain these girls at all? No. No no grain. They're, they're all grass fed. Wow. Yeah, hay in the winter and grass in the summer. So Deb uses no supplemental grain, which is a big savings in money for her and for any homesteader who would do the same. Now a grass fed animal is great in the summer, but remember what she said, there is hay to feed in the winter. So how much are you going to need in hay for one mini jersey? The answer to that blew my mind. 
I think these girls probably go through half a bale a day. Uh, half of a half square bale? Yeah. Wow, that's not that much. It's not That's what that our much. goats went through. <laughs> you can hear it in my voice. I was shocked. Half of a square bale of hay for this entire cow? I was feeding three or four dairy goats more than that, probably a bale a day. And there was so much hay waste and the milk, the quality was so variable and the quantity all over the place. I couldn't believe what you could get with this mini jersey. Speaking of milk quantity, that was another thing that I was really excited about. So how much did you get from this milking today? From just the one cow? Oh, that's uh, a little more than 12 pounds. Okay. That's a gallon and a half. And that's once a day milking with just hay? Yeah. And how much would she give in the summertime? Three or more gallons. And so in the summertime I swap and I start milking twice a day. Okay, because they're producing more? Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm very impressed. This is really, really cool. Did you catch that? A gallon and a half of milk. And she's only milking once a day right now. In the summer, she switches over to twice. But think of what all this means for a homesteader. You could have one of these mid-sized minis on your homestead. It's an animal that stands just a little taller than some of the taller goats you might own. A gallon and a half from this mid-sized mini a day. And that's from an animal that is not being supplemented any grain. You could have one of these animals in your backyard eating just grass through most of the year and then in the winter time, a half a bale of hay a day inside the barn. Where we live, a half a bale of hay is about 250. So that means for about 250, you're getting a gallon of milk a day. Of course, there's other costs involved that you can't forget, and you should add those costs into the whole equation. But for a gallon and a half of milk a day, a big family like mine, we burn through milk like crazy. And any extra milk could be used as feed for the chickens, for the pigs. This mid-sized mini Jersey, totally grass-fed, nice, calm, manageable animal, it was sounding really, really good to me. This is my favorite family cow breed. How <laughs> <laughs> come? They're smaller. They're easy for me to push around, and that's important. Uh, they eat less food, they make less manure, um, but the Jersey milk and also the Jersey milk is very, very rich. We say the Jerseys put their heart and soul into their milk. At the beginning of this interview, we talked about having a family cow and it being a lot like marriage. And a marriage is all about what both parties put into it, right? If you're in a marriage where the husband and the wife are both trying to put their best into that relationship, then the marriage blossoms like a flower. It's a beautiful thing. So if you think you're ready to partner up with the family cow, if you understand the amount of work it's going to be, every day, 365. If you're ready to put your heart and soul into that animal, it's ready to give its heart and soul back to you and your family.
there is there's much to be gained from having a cow in your home. There's, there's a lot of reason that they're considered holy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Special thanks to Deb and Margaret from our local farm who gave us the tour of the farm and answered so many of our questions about keeping a family cow and mini jerseys. If you like this idea, if you're considering courting a cow yourself to see whether or not it's right for you and your family, Deb offers an amazing family cow workshop. You can learn more about this at motherhouse.us where you can see all the classes that Deb hosts on her farm and especially the family cow workshop They take place during the summertime, and you will definitely see us at one of those this summer. Maybe we'll make a homesteady meetup out of it. And if you're a homesteady pioneer, be sure to head over to the Pioneer Library. You can see the entire field trip we took to Deb's farm. Uh, You can enjoy more conversation with Deb about the family cow, more questions that I asked her. It's sitting there in the Pioneer Library ready for you. Before we get into the finances behind the family cow, I wanted to tell you guys about our sponsor for this episode. Our sponsor for this episode of Home Study is HelloFresh. Their mission is to change the way that people eat forever. They believe everyone deserves to enjoy honest, natural, delicious, and healthy food, and they know there's a chef in everyone. Or so they thought. I wasn't so sure if there was a chef in everyone. And so when I got my first order of HelloFresh, I opened up the box. And I was very impressed because all the meals come with instructions, with pictures, and an easy breakdown. Now, I'm pretty miserable in the kitchen. If you ask my family what I make, it's essentially quesadillas and tea. Those are the things I'm good at. I was not expecting to be able to pull off any of the meals, especially because they had more than two ingredients. They had a lot of ingredients, nice fresh ingredients. But I did it. I put on my HelloFresh apron. I grabbed my utensils and I started. Half peel and mince shallot. Okay. Oh, I think I should have halved it the other way. <laughs> Strip rosemary from stems. Rosemary. Although I wouldn't go so far as to say that there's a chef in me, HelloFresh made it very easy for someone like me, who's really bad in the kitchen, uh, to make a dinner for my family. The box shows up, all the ingredients are there, clearly labeled the amount that you need. You don't have to go searching for ingredients. You don't have to figure out how to measure stuff. It's all right there with instructions and pictures. And I was able to make dinner. How'd it turn out? What was that? I liked this meal. What'd you like? The chicken I like, the meal. My five-year-old liked the chicken. I can give you no better testimonial than that. That said, my wife also enjoyed having dinner cooked for her. They offer a classic box, a veggie box, and a family box. 
You can order three, four, or five different meals per week designed for either two or four people. They have new recipes every week. This meal kit delivery service makes cooking easy that can help everyone from beginners like me to the seasoned home cook who's just short on time. Want to try it? For $35 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code HOMESTUDY when you subscribe. Give it a shot and don't forget the promo code HOMESTUDY to help support us because HelloFresh is helping to support our show. Meeting with Deb made me feel like this was something we could enjoy in our life. We could really enjoy making a cow a part of our family. And that's what the interesting thing about the family cow. They call it the family cow. You never hear about the family pig or the family chicken. Uh, You always hear to a homestead cow referred to as a family cow. Because it really does become like a member of your family. Here's the thing. It's a big commitment. Just like Deb said, it's like a marriage because this is an animal that needs your care and needs your attention, but it also is ready to give back. But that brought me to an important question. As you guys know from listening to this podcast, I like to figure out how much whatever I'm bringing onto the farm is going to give back. I asked Deb financially, what should someone expect bringing a family cow onto their homestead? Her answer was essentially, cost-wise for a family cow, Deb, what should a family expect? What do they need to be able to afford for cost? I, I'm no good on that. <laughs> <laughs> She's not the person to ask about the financial side of things. All right, back to the search for someone who might know financially whether or not a cow makes sense. You know, I gotta bring this to accountant Mike at the end of the episode anyway. I gotta have some good hard numbers for him. I figured if one person I could count on, if there was somebody out there who knew cows and would have a good answer for me financially, it would be somebody who had them as a farm business. And so we looked to our source of raw milk. We go and buy raw milk locally from Stonewall Dairy. And Chris, who runs Stonewall Dairy, has been running a raw milk dairy operation for over 10 years. I figured if I talked to Chris, I could figure out whether or not financially this would be a good animal to bring onto the homestead. The answer I got, well, it wasn't as straightforward as I hoped. Chris is the heart and soul of Stonewall Dairy, a small raw milk dairy operation in Connecticut. Hey Earl. Yeah, yeah, right. You're on you're on can camera. <laughs> you want a gallon, right? Yeah. And he's the kind of guy who's much more comfortable selling a gallon of his farm fresh milk to a longtime customer than he is, say, on Facebook. They have a, a Connecticut based little YouTube video thing and getting some exposure for our favorite milk farm. (laughs) And while internet marketing might not be his primary concern running the small dairy farm, he was more than happy to take a little time and chat with us on our Connecticut based little YouTube video thing. So should we pause now? (laughs) 
Chris didn't grow up on a farm. He wasn't handed the family farm. He got into farming, as he puts it, the stars aligned. You know, and I didn't grow up on a dairy. This isn't this isn't something I was born into. This was started by somebody else, okay. and I had just gotten back from Pennsylvania after my father died. I'd moved there to, to help with him, you know, in his last times. And so the guy milking here busted his leg one day and couldn't milk cows, and so they called me up at six, you know, whatever it was, the milking time in the morning, and said, "Can you come and milk cows?" My father just died. And I was back sort of looking for, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, and so it all seemed to come together. I said, well, I guess this is where I'm meant to be. There's no doubt that Chris has a love for farming. This is a guy who took his inheritance. And instead of investing it in an index fund, some mutual funds, putting it away so that he could retire easy, he invested in a farm. My father died and I inherited some money so, and I knew I wanted to give back to the community and this is what I believe in. If you looked at it in strictly a financial sense, there's a lot of people who would probably say that wasn't the smartest financial decision. But Chris doesn't worry about what the smartest financial decision is. He likes to look at a bigger picture. My goal when I came here, well I've been here 11 years now, was to stabilize it and then pass it on to a younger person. Right. You know, I, didn't, I don't have, I, you know, as I've said, I, if I can help it, I don't want to die here. I'd rather right. slow down again. I, you know, I'm wearing out, and, and rather than have this place go downhill with me going downhill, I'd rather get it to a younger person. Awesome. Land for Good either works. They help farmers make transition plans because we don't, especially dairy farmers, or maybe any farmers, they don't, or maybe human beings just don't do very well with making exit strategies right. that are sensible. Yeah. You know, they <laughs> die on the way to the barn and then it's like, oh God, what do we do with this thing now? So I re- That's probably true. Human beings, for the most part, probably are not really good with exit strategies because we don't like to think about the end. But Chris has the foresight. He realizes that he doesn't want to burn himself out completely here on the farm, and the mission from day one was not to make a million dollars farming, get rich, or die trying. It was to make the farm sustainable, so he could pass it on to the younger generation. And this has brought him to one of the biggest questions that small-scale agriculture is facing today. Is it possible? Is small-scale agriculture actually something that can be sustainable? It's a question that running this farm for the last 11 years, Chris still doesn't have a real good answer to. If people want farms this scale, then we have to know what it costs to actually have them exist and operate day to day, even outside capital costs, just, you know, operate, you know, I'm still dealing with what the operating budget is here and, 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 and come up with some real numbers and then, okay, if it is, can this really pay for the farm? You know, can the food yeah. product pay for the farm? Or, or do we have to look for outside funding yeah. and just accept that the system is built for bigger places? Yeah. Do big, you know, I mean, the other deeper question is do bigger operations really, um, if you, if bigger operations tend to externalize costs, yeah. you know, whether they're environmental, social, yeah. if you, you know, what does it really cost to have some of these big operations? Because I'm not sure they're making any money either. Right. They're, they're, half of them are subsidized, right? I mean, Correct. Right. So here we have Chris, 
who's getting ready to pass on the torch, his small local dairy, raw milk dairy, to a young, eager, excited farmer. But before he does this, Chris wants to figure out, is this actually sustainable business? If I hand this off to some young, excited farming family, are they actually going to be able to earn a living from farming? Will the income that they earn be more than the cost to produce the product? And as he's contemplating whether or not small-scale agriculture, in his instance, and on a bigger picture, can be sustainable, he realizes that when you look at the large-scale production, well, there's not really a clear answer there either. The fact is that factory farms are heavily subsidized. The biggest farms in the world receive billions of dollars every year from taxpayers to help keep that business going. There are many reasons stated for this. The insurance that they'll make enough for the production of the crops. A guarantee that the nation will always have a supply of food that it needs. The list goes on and on. But essentially, taxpayers are paying billions of dollars every year to produce corn, soybeans, and CAFO meat. Where did this come from? Whose idea was this anyway? You can trace farm subsidies all the way back to the Great Depression. It was the 1930s. Advancements in machinery and agricultural techniques had improved the harvests of farmers, but so much that there was an overabundance of crops. And when there's more supply than there is demand, prices drop, which meant farmers all across the United States were at risk. These low prices on their goods, they were at risk of losing the farm, literally. And back then, 25% of the population lived on farms. So President FDR looked around and said, we have to do something about this. And that is where farm subsidies began. FDR introduced the subsidies in the 1930s. The Secretary of Agriculture, Henry Wallace, called them a temporary solution to deal with an emergency. The collapsing farm incomes that affected 25% of the population. They were just going to help the farmers get back on their feet. But here's the thing. They never went away. It's like your Uncle Ted who shows up at your house. It's midnight. He's like, ah, my old lady kicked me out. I just need a place to stay for a few nights. And you're like, ah, just a couple nights? He's like, yeah, yeah, just a few nights. I just need need a place to stay till I get back on my feet. And you're like, all right, Ted, the couch is free. Go ahead. You can use it for a couple days. And... Then, 85 years later, Uncle Ted, he's still on your couch. And you're like, come on, Uncle Ted. It's time to come up with a better solution. And that's why Chris is sitting down and taking a hard look at his numbers. Because he wants small-scale agriculture, local farms. He wants them to be the better solution. But he's just not sure if they're there yet. People really love the milk. They yes. love the taste of it. Yes. They've tried other milks. They end up back here. Right. So we're doing something right yes. that way. But, you know, I've gotten a lot of grant money. I inherited some money to get this place started. Yeah. So all of that, you know, I haven't just made this work on milk. Milk, yeah. And that's just 
But if we can't even cover our operating budget, we've got a problem. Yeah. And whether it means up in the cost of the milk, you know, or the pigs, you know, in the past, you know, at the end of the raising a few pigs, I look at the numbers and go, ooh, this is not very pretty. No. So we're working to really knowing what it actually is costing to get us milk from here to stores and yeah. all that. And that's what we'll continue to work on. Chris's entire goal when he took over Stonewall Dairy Farm was to make it sustainable. And he's working hard to make sure that financially, it is. But sustainability goes beyond just money. For one, if you're going to start a farm, a farm business, it has to be sustainable for the farmers to run. They have to be able to have a quality of life that allows them to keep farming. Farmers should be able to enjoy their career, just like any other professional. If and a holistic goal of this farm is, you know, one decent um, life for the people involved, then how do you budget that in and right. say, okay, the farmer deserves, you know, I know a farm up in Vermont who are more, you know, have worked harder at budgeting their time and, and forming a holistic goal, and they've allocated in their holistic goal, you know, a week away for the wife, one for the husband to go someplace, and then one for the two of them. Okay. So they really budget that in at the beginning of the season. You know, this is important for us as people. Yes. We do care drastically about this, but but we need to treat ourselves well, too. And that's where I haven't gotten very good at it. That's. I think that's such good advice because people our age who get into this, yep. you think that's the vacation. Like, oh, I'm going to be farming and I'm going to love it and I don't need a vacation. But then you do it a little while and you're like, oh crap, I need a vacation. Right. I mean, I think human beings do, you know, no matter how dedicated you are to the thing, we do, you know, we're a varied being. We like to do, at least I do, yeah. you know, I really like doing the, you know, when I get tired of one thing, it's like Gene Logston said, who homesteads, you know, what, just when I'm tired of trimming peach trees, I'm done the peach trees and I go on to apples. And it's like, and I know it from, from doing it, that get really tired of one, when I take a break, I immediately re-energize. Yeah. You know, and, and so that's the system that I think enhances human being. You know, we are a diverse being and the more we let ourselves, um, you know, enjoy those things, then, then the broader we are as people. You know, we have systems that tend to um, put that all, you know, this, you know away. And that's what that's where I get, you know, the small is okay. Right. You know, if yeah. it allows variety. And Chris explains why the homesteading life is so appealing to us. Because it's full of variety. We can work on our orchard, on our garden, with our animals. But he reminds us the importance. If we're going to create a sustainable system, we need to remember that we crave that variety, that change in our life. We need to be like those farmers who plan for a vacation because being a slave to our own farm is not sustainable. And in the end, we will risk burning out. Chris factors in all this when looking to see whether or not a farm is sustainable. Most importantly, though, when worried about whether or not it's achieving its holistic goals, he looks at whether or not it's sustainable for the animals and for our beautiful planet which we need to be able to live off of if we're going to be homesteaders. Because a farmer isn't paid for the value of the work and the care they have to put into keeping, to doing it the best they possibly can, they're constantly cutting corners. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose any business can do that. But if you have water washing down the river because you don't have cover crops or, it's, or, or, or all those questions, then, then it is... Any business 
where the costs to produce are high and the work is hard can be tempted to cut corners. The production costs in farming are high and always rising. The work is some of the hardest work out there. Unfortunately, with agriculture, those corners are cut on the land and on the animals, and eventually it leads downstream to our plate. Nothing is a better example of this than raw milk versus pasteurized milk and why pasteurized milk came out in the first place. When people come in here and, and they want me to answer about, you know, do I think raw milk is better or not better, and I have to answer, I'm not a scientist. My The answer is in identifying what the real problem is. Mm -hmm. So pasteurization came along in the 30s because the dairies that were in the cities were feeding their cows real junk. They were filthy conditions. Tuberculosis was pretty prevalent. Refrigeration wasn't very good. So there were a lot of kids dying from milk. Mm. And then Louis Pasteur came along and, you know, discovered that heating milk could kill a lot of bacteria. And so that was the easy out. It didn't really push to clean up the conditions or get cows healthier or improve the refrigeration. Right. So my question would be, let's fix the real problem yeah. rather than just boil the milk. Right. So that's why I sell raw yeah. milk. I'd rather spend the time keeping the cows clean and healthy. And, and so that's the answer I, I make. You know, whether it's actually better for you or not, I don't know, somebody else could argue yeah. about it. Chris here is saying that although pasteurization was an easier solution to the problem that they were facing, it really only addressed the symptoms. Cows were in awful conditions, and so their milk was killing people because of the disease. So instead of attacking the real problem, getting cows out of these confined feedlots, they attacked the symptom. They pasteurized the milk. It was cheaper. It was easier. It was a cut corner. Now, don't get me wrong. The farmers who cut these corners, they're not bad people. They're responding to the demand of their market. People wanted cheaper food. That was the goal. And the farmers were delivering by cutting the corners. And that's what Chris says is the problem even in our day. It's the devaluation of food. Devaluing food. That's the problem. And maybe even devaluing land. You know, it gets to be... And, and where... I what go through my head, you know, if you continue to... <laughs> short if you continue to try to get something for nothing, eventually you get nothing. I mean, how that balances, and I feel badly, you know, that if I had to up this to $10 a gallon out of here and pass it on even wholesale $10 a gallon to stores and they've got, you know, everybody's got costs and that's where I feel like this is never ending and the costs keep going up and up. My insurance bill goes up. I haven't raised my cost here in a while. I feed organic grain now, which is more expensive. Yes, I can de-emphasize grain. This is the battle that's being waged by the small-scale farmers who are trying to make a change, do something good for their community, and yet still make a living. On the one hand, they have prices that are going up, input costs rising, but they want to bring their food to market at a price that people can afford. 
And at the same time, the opinion of what people can afford, the prices people are willing to pay, keep dropping. We tell people, yeah, we pay eight. Is it eight fifty? Eight fifty for a gallon. Eight, 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 eight for a gallon. And for us, and if you go buy it at, at Nature's Temptation or someplace down there, it's yeah, ten bucks a right. gallon. And for us, we understand that because we've done it. We've raised pigs and sold them. We right, charge right, way more right. for pork than what you get at the we've raised so we get it. Yeah. But so many people are like, "You pay eight bucks a gallon? How would you do? That's crazy! Correct. You get a big Y for two dollars." Right. <laughs> we pay eight dollars per gallon when we go to Chris and buy our milk. And I know some of you just now, when you heard that figure, eight dollars a gallon, you went, "What?" Because we have been trained that milk should be way less expensive than eight dollars a gallon. Because that's what the factory farms have been able to do. They've been able to keep that price lower and lower and lower. But at what cost? Right, right. Or Ron Schmidt, who's that naturopath, wrote the you know the about raw milk and and he's a naturopath physician who would say, well, you just you know you'll pay me now or you'll pay me later. Exactly. You know, if you have a compromised food system, right. which is cut so many quarters because it has to keep getting a lower and lower price and the crap that's you know it, it ends up not healthy stuff then you have a human population that you know Steiner talked about this in biodynamic farming in the 30s yeah. you know you continue to rob the soil of of its nutrients you end up with dead soil you can only end up with dead people hmm. you know because yeah. we all are still rooted in the soil you can't I don't know you know how do you get away from that we are all rooted in the soil Think about the word nutrition. It comes from the word nutrient, the building blocks of our bodies. And that all comes from essentially the soil and the sun. When you're drinking a glass of milk, what are you really drinking? Chris says, The resource that we're really converting is the sun. Mm. That's the base resource that we're all, whether you're growing broccoli or milk, you know, or peas or whatever, the resource that we're all dependent upon is the sun. That this is just basically sunshine, really. Yeah. Converted sunshine. And when you think about it that way, then it allows some of those questions to fall into the right categories. Right. When you go to Stonewall Dairy, to the honor system lockbox, and you put your $8 in it, you're paying for converted sunshine. When you're at the supermarket and you're paying $2 for a gallon of milk, you have to ask yourself, Chris's cows are converting sunshine. What are these cows converting? With over a decade experience converting sunshine into milk, and selling it to his local community. Does Chris believe that small-scale agriculture can be sustainable? Yeah. I still believe that it should be able to work, but sometimes that illusion is, you know, you go to the grave with that illusion, right. and the reality is, is that it's not working. Right. Figure, you know, and again, too, I, you know, I would just, you know, I'd like when we do come up with a number, I want to put it right here or even if it's on the web page or that. This is actually what it costs to right. get this to you. Exactly. And and how, you know, you come forward and help us. How do we make this better? Because, yes, I've been gifted with some money to help get this place going. I've had lots of grants. But it should be a business that should be able to support itself. And we need to know why it can't. 
Chris is dedicated. He wants to find an answer to this question, how to make this farm sustainable in every way. But he does see that there's more value to his little dairy than just the dollars and cents. Remember, we're talking about a guy who took his inheritance and spent it to help build a local farm. A decade later, how does he feel about that decision? You can live pretty well. That's another interesting twist of a person making a living and an actual person living. You know, they are different. And we get too focused on just making a living or having a job versus living. For the last decade, Chris has enjoyed his living, making a living off the land. And although he wants to pass the torch on the farm, he's certainly not done enjoying living off the land. What's his future when he leaves farming? Homesteading. Where do you see yourself going after this? What What would be the ideal setup for you? I, I um, as I've recognized, I like all of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would see actually going back towards a homesteading scale. Yeah. Um, a cow or two. I like the work. Yeah. The physical work, stuff I like, and also working towards a systems right. solution. thing addressing the inequality where we are, how young people can get onto farming and farming without getting buried um, under overhead. So I'd like to um, have more time for doing that. Yeah. And yet I'd, I'd still, I still, I, mean, I think the work I do, it keeps the head clear. Yes, definitely. And so, so that's where I see. You can't quit it, but. <laughs> no, but, um, but I'd like to, you know, I used to do, um, a lot of woodworking before I came here and I'd like to have some time to, I mean, I like fixing things. I mean, it's one of my best assets here is that I'm just pretty good at fixing that things. That is a so. good asset too. Yeah, and for a place, yes, right, right. So, much, so it's, yeah. um, yeah, the, a, a broader thing. So I'm certainly living it now and I've certainly been really lucky to be able to do any of this. How does the man who spent his inheritance on a farm for the last 10 years working hard, sweating hard, Hardly earning a profit feel? Really lucky. Special thanks to Chris from Stonewall Dairy. If you live around Connecticut and you'd like to buy raw milk, you can head on over to Stonewall Dairy anytime. They go by the honor system, and the door is always open. If you're a cheesemaker, Give Chris a call because you can buy bulk raw milk for making all your different cheeses. And in the springtime, you might be able to even get a deal when they're heavy with milk. They also sell meat. There's honey. In the summer, there's vegetables. You can check out their website and their Facebook page. And mention that you heard about them on Homesteady. If you stop into their little store and you're picking up a gallon of milk, you might just bump into us there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
It was incredibly eye-opening talking to Chris. There were two things that really were amazing to me. The first was that after running this raw milk dairy for 10 years, he still wasn't really sure whether or not he was profitable. That was a big surprise. But then it also kind of opened my eyes up to a second truth about cow people in general, or at least the two that we've interviewed. We're way more interested in the value that that animal brought to their lives and their land and the community and how it touched people's life, really, than they were in the dollars and cents of it. It shows you something about the kind of people that are drawn to the cow. It may also interest you to know that Chris and Deb were actually married to each other at one time. So perhaps it's the kind of people who are drawn to the cow and other people who are drawn to the cow. Anyways, side note. Speaking of people that are drawn to the cow, there's Accountant Mike. He's not one of those people. He's one of those people who likes to figure out whether or not he's going to earn a profit from something. And of course, as you know, now it's time to call him up my farm accountant, and see whether or not he thinks this is a good decision for us to bring onto the farm. And we're going to find out whether or not he gives the family cow a thumbs up or a thumbs down after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey guys, just a quick break from the show. I wanted to tell you something kind of exciting. It's a new way for you to help support the Homesteady podcast without spending an extra dime. Next time you're going to go shopping on Amazon, before you go to Amazon, go to amsteady.com. That's A-M, like Amazon, and steady, like homesteady.com. You'll instantly be forwarded to Amazon's website. But in that millisecond that you're forwarded there, Amazon will log the fact that we sent you there, and we will receive an affiliate bonus should you buy something on Amazon. It costs you nothing extra, not a penny, but a small amount of what you spend will be given to us so we can continue to produce the show that you love at no extra cost to you. Just head on over to amsteady.com, buy whatever you were planning on buying anyway, and we will make a little bit of money, which helps us keep the show going. Every little penny helps. So next time you go shopping on Amazon, remember, am like Amazon, steady like homesteady.com. There's something you should know before we listen to this phone call with Accountant Mike, and it's that this actually isn't a phone call. It's a live broadcast of our breakdown. For the first time ever, me and Mike did a financial breakdown live in front of an internet audience. And one of the big announcements we have for Homesteady's future is that me and Mike are going to keep doing this. Over the last two years of producing this show, we have produced the show in a studio and released the show weeks later, and weeks later had people email us and say, hey, you forgot to include this cost, or you forgot to include this benefit of the animal, and hey, Mike didn't consider this and that, and these are all, these points, there's so many good points out there and so many good ideas, we thought, wouldn't it be great if instead of me and Mike sitting down to do our breakdown, Me and Mike and a ton of other homesteaders sat down and did the breakdown. And we got everybody's ideas before we edited the show. And so that's what we did. We announced it that night that we were going live. 
and lots of people joined us. And it was really exciting and really fun to have Accountant Mike do the breakdown live like that with the help of others. So we are going to try this for the next two months. Every Tuesday night, we're going to do a live stream on YouTube and on the Prepper Broadcasting Network. So you can watch along on YouTube. You can listen at Prepper Broadcasting. And the best part is at both those places, you can interact with us in the chat box. You'll be able to help me and Accountant Mike do the breakdown, add your advice. And after we do our breakdown, we're going to have a Q&A session for everyone who's there. When that hour's up, we're going to shut down the live Q&A and we're going to invite the pioneers to join us for an actual webinar where they can talk to us one-on-one, ask questions, and that sort of thing. So join us. Tomorrow will be the first time we do this uh, announced ahead of schedule. Join us for tomorrow's webinar. It's going to be all about meat chickens, and we'll have special guest John Siskovich from the Growing Farms podcast to do the breakdown on meat chickens, which will be another episode coming up. So that's Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, YouTube or Prepper Broadcasting Network. Let's get back to the focus here. Cows. Do cows make financial sense? Should we bring cows onto our homestead? Can we get a clear answer from Accountant Mike? Well, all right. Hello, everybody. This is a, a uh, first time in a long time for us. Uh, but me and Mike decided on a whim tonight, hey, you know what would make this fun? Inviting some of the fans. <laughs> Kendra has been thinking about the idea of a family cow, and it's not a new idea for her. It's an idea that she's had for a long time. I figured I better get the cold splash of water. I better talk to my my accountant buddy who's going to say, you're crazy. And uh, tell me that we shouldn't make this decision. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. Do you want what? to skip the middle bit and I can just tell you now? Don't do it. <laughs> so, so ready for, ready for this. Yeah. So I caught Mike up to speed on our cow field trips. And I explained to him, I wanted to get him hard numbers, but I couldn't. Both of the people that we went and interviewed, neither of them had really good data as to what they were getting back. People who are very pro-cow, pro-raw dairy, pro-homestead family cow are way more into the idea of the the beauty it brings to your life and the experience and the life lessons. So with that, armed with that knowledge. Yeah, with with that uphill battle. (laughs) Also doing this live stream makes me realize that you only have one gesture when you're talking and it is this one. This is the gesture. You do this and there's the cows and we talk about the cows. I want you to notice two things that just happened there. One, I made a tremendous generalization about every human who ever owned a cow that they don't care about numbers or facts based off two humans that I interviewed who were great interviews, by the way, and they just weren't so focused on the financial breakdown. And second, Mike got off on a tangent about live streaming and how I have one gesture with my hands. I want to blame this breakdown and what's about to happen on the fact that this was our very first live one. It's a live show, it's a new element, and we were kind of more focused on putting on a show than we were on actually doing a really good breakdown and looking at the hard numbers. It was a new experience for us, and it was a lot of fun, and I guarantee you tomorrow's episode is going to be a real lot of fun. But our first one, well, you're going to see in a minute, 
We kind of botched. This is how we do it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, hit me. What are we talking about? We're talking about cows, and it's not profitable. We already know that. Uh, we're fortunate in Connecticut. We can just flat out buy raw milk from you know a, a freezer and pull out the raw milk. We're. Are, does the idea of it being raw scare you at all? Are you like a Louis no. Pasteur fanboy? No, no. Being raw doesn't worry me. I'm sure it's fine for you. I mean, whatever. He's an accountant. He's not a doctor. <laughs> no. And he doesn't play one on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Can you imagine that channel? I just play an accountant on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> It's not this part that I was worried about. We always have our tangents. At some point, we got into an argument about what the best cereal was growing up as a kid. Okay. Three, two, one. Peanut butter, Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Cinnamon Toast. You and Leanna, you're the same on everything. Seriously. (laughs) I, I would, to this day, finish a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Just pour the milk into the cardboard box. Uh huh. I'm good. Oh, what was yours? Peanut butter, Captain peanut butter, Crunch? Captain Crunch. I loved it. It was like little, you know, it is peanut butter. But like yeah, peanut butter, Captain Crunch. I'm not even going to go there. Anyway, we all know Cinnamon Toast Crunch wins that battle and gets that thumbs up. What we really botched in this breakdown was actually the breakdown. All we considered was the money we would save on milk. Okay, so that means you are going through 73 gallons of milk a year if you use uh, a gallon every five days. Ready for that math? That means if you're spending $8 a gallon, you're spending $584 a year, right? So we figured out how much money we were spending on milk as a family. And then we figured out how much we'd have to spend on a cow. And we used the mini jersey as an example. Sure. Uh, the mini jerseys that we went and looked at, they eat about half a bale of hay per cow per day. Okay. They yield a gallon and a half of milk in the winter and up to three gallons in the summer. Per day? Yes, per day. Holy smokes. And in the summertime, those same cows don't need any hay. Because they're eating just grass. And these right. cows were not supplemented with grain. Now, one more big number to throw at you. You can buy standard jerseys around here. Standard jersey cows for probably $700. These mini jerseys start in the $2,000 range. And I've Yikes. seen farms that we've been researching that are selling $8,000 mini jerseys. Yeah, that's nuts, man. You're familiar with the concept of imagination, correct? Yeah, sure. I imagine many things. <laughs> You've seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You I know have. all about imagination. <laughs> Did you know for the boat scene, you know, freaky, freaky boat oh, scene? Oh, I remember the boat scene. Did you know that was not scripted at all? Like, well, not, not that it wasn't scripted at all. Okay, sorry. I don't remember the exact point. But it's something to the effect of, like, Gene Wilder didn't tell the other actors how nuts he was going to be and sort of just let them find out. So, so the their reactions are totally... Yeah. Like, Charlie's granddad is like, what the heck <laughs> is going on in this place? Yeah, what is going on in this place? Are we doing this breakdown or what? If you just imagine, simply that's, look that's around. not it at all, I don't think. <laughs> That we are to spend $2,500 of our hard-earned money on... 500 bucks. On this... This is a young... This is a calf. This isn't a cow that's ready to milk. 
Then yeah. we invest probably three years before nope. we're actually drinking milk. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, yeah, it does not work, man. No way. <laughs> so even at even at eight bucks a week, so it's going to take you what six years to recoup the cost of the cow. Yeah, I I just now, don't see it. Of course, accountant Mike didn't see it because the only thing I brought to him was, "Hey, can I save money on milk?" No one that we talked to, not Deb, not Chris, were doing this just because they could get milk. They were doing this for all the things that the cow does. There are so many wonderful things that you get from the family cow. And we didn't cover any of them. Not because people in the chat box weren't telling us about them, but because, honestly, we didn't have a moderator that night. We didn't have anybody sitting there watching the chat box. So, from now on, Kendra will monitor us because we failed this one. How badly? Well, you can go for yourself and watch the whole YouTube stream on our channel. You can see the economic breakdown of the cow with Accountant Mike live. You can watch the whole hour and see how much we botched it. But I'm going to spare you from that here on the podcast. I will show you how much we botched it by reading a letter that we got. This is a letter we received from a super fan, Emily Long. Emily is a homesteady pioneer. She helps support this podcast every month. She wrote us letters many, many times. She's invited us out to her homestead when we go on our cross-country trip, which, by the way, if you're wondering, we have put off for a little while for personal reasons, a big one being that the baby isn't really great in the car seat. So anyway, someday that will happen. But Emily writes us this giant long letter, starting with Aust, exclamation, 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 exclamation. She said, I just listened to the whole thing and point out that apparently... Your family doesn't use butter, cream, yogurt, kefir, ice cream, sour cream, cream cheese, or mozzarella cheese. You don't use any of that ever. And then, ha-ha, and a smiley face, just so she, I know, like, she's not that angry at me. But she's a little angry at me. She says, you can't just compare the cost of the junk at the store. Find local butter, and I bet you'll pay around 5 to $6 a pound for it, not to mention the hard cheeses or raw cheese. She talked about compost and organic fertilizers that you'd spend money on, but not if you had a cow. And if the goal is sustainability, then the level of sustainability that a cow offers to the family homestead is incredible. Chickens, pigs, and the dogs and cats can use the soured milk as supplemental feed. Did you know in a crisis situation you could survive on milk alone? Not saying it would be fun, but it is a complete food. Also, you vaguely mentioned beef, but didn't work out the numbers. My point is you guys left a lot out of this equation on the family milk cow. I'm not saying Accountant Mike would end up giving it a thumbs up, but it should be considered to give it a fair assessment. Because you would be saving a lot more than 500 a year on milk. Just my hubby and I go through 2 pounds of butter a week, so that is another 500 right there. You guys are hammering that butter, Emily. I'm just saying. <laughs> we do it too. My kids will eat a stick of butter raw if we don't catch them first. Anyways, Emily is a big fan and she was not being mean. I, I, I used a little artist, artist license in how I read that. But she says at the very end of her letter, Please forgive me if you feel I'm being overly critical. I mean well. I love what you guys are doing and I love the show. And... Uh, her follow-up email started with, let's bring it in for a hug. So, <laughs> But she really nailed it. Emily talked about all these different things that we did not cover. So what are we going to do here? 
rematch. We're going to have a rematch and we're going to do this again live. So next week, Tuesday night, this is Cow Throwdown. I need your help. Any of you listening to the show who have experience with a family cow, please don't come on to tell us you should get a cow because it's good for the community and it's so wonderful. We need some numbers. So give us some numbers, guys. Find some numbers, some things that you can bring into account at Mike, the different yields you get from your family cow, and join us for the live chat where we're going to have a redo on the economic breakdown of a cow with the help of all of you who join us for that chat. That'll be next Tuesday at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, and my wife will be moderating. I will have you know my wife wants to buy a cow, so I'm pretty sure you're going to have a good moderator on your hands. She's going to make sure that we read the comments in the chat box and point out all the good tips that you add to that breakdown. And then in the future, we will have a new episode about the family cow and whether or not you should get one based off the conclusion there. Speaking of new episodes, the last big announcement that we have, we are going to attempt to make a giant leap here forward. For the last couple of years, I've been mentioning the idea that I would love to do a weekly show, but I just couldn't, right? Well, I think now I can. We have so many homesteady pioneers who are helping us do this show every week, and I'm incredibly grateful to you. We also have the help of our sponsors. Currently, HelloFresh, we had the help from our sponsor at Audible, and maybe we'll pick up them in the future again. I think we're at the point where we can make the leap to doing a weekly show. So we're going to try it for the next two months. We're going to produce a weekly podcast. I'm going to be on the production end doing things. Kendra's now taken over a lot of uh, the writing and correspondence with Homesteady. Accountant Mike will be joining us at least every other week for a breakdown. And Alexia, the suburban escapee, will do a weekly write-up at at our website, thisishomesteady.com. All this on top of the fact that we're producing a daily show on YouTube. This is an incredible undertaking, and I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I don't know if I can do it, so I need a little bit of your support. Let me know what you think as we do this. We're going to have a survey in a couple weeks to see how you're feeling about the show, how you like the weekly show, and uh, what your thoughts are. If you want to help us be able to make this a reality and keep going after that two-month mark, let us know by supporting the show. Head over to thisishomesteady.com and become a pioneer. It's $5 a month, and it really is helping us grow the show. It's what's allowed us to do a daily homesteady video and YouTube, and what now we're going to try this weekly podcast. Your support will really make the difference as to whether or not we can go beyond this two-month mark. So consider becoming a pioneer, 5 bucks a month, we would seriously appreciate that. It'll help us make this actually sustainable, which would be nice. As soon as you become a Pioneer, you gain access to the entire Pioneer-only library, all the bonus podcasts, the master video classes on homesteading. We have an organic orchard, organic gardening, chickens, a whole bunch of others. There's a food preservation one that's brand new that just was released. Uh... All kinds of great content in there for our pioneers only. So that's what you get for five bucks a month. Please join us for the live chat Tuesday, 
Tomorrow night at 9 o'clock, we're going to talk about meat chickens with John Siskovich. We're going to break down meat birds and uh, talk about the hard numbers. Next week, we'll have our cow rematch. Bring your your numbers, your costs, and your benefits that you're getting from your cow, and you can join us for that. And uh, maybe we'll have special guest Emily on that episode. We'll see if she can join us for the live chat and call us out on the air. <laughs> so should you get a family cow should we get a family cow this is the question we've been going back and forth with for a couple weeks here honestly the economic breakdown with accountant mike it really doesn't have anything to do with that Because that would be like giving an economic breakdown to should you marry somebody. Deb nailed it. She compared having a family cow to getting married. And it's not the same thing, but it is a good example or illustration to go by. The cow coming into your family's life, it's going to take a lot of care. It's going to take a lot of work. There's going to be a lot that you put into this animal. But... The cow is going to give a lot back, way more than just milk in your cereal or cappuccinos. Deb used to be a vegan, but she couldn't deny the gifts that the cow gave back. And so that's the question that you have to ask yourself. Are you willing to invest in this animal, to put the time, to put the effort in? And if so, you can look forward to getting those gifts in return. It is like a new family member, not like some easy way to save money on milk. If there's anything that we've learned from our interviews today with Deb and with Chris, it's that the motivation to get a cow, a family cow, a major motivation to be a farmer, is nothing to do with the financial breakdown. It's nothing to do with what you're going to earn or what you're going to save. And it has everything to do with how it's going to change your life, as long as it's changing your life for the better. Special thanks to Deb from our local farm, and Chris from Stonewall Dairy for their great stories and great interviews, even if they didn't have hard numbers for us. Also, of course, thanks to Accountant Mike for taking the time to do the breakdown, even if we botched it. We'll do better next time, bro. There's a great write-up at thisishomesteady.com where you can find all the links for this episode and read Alexia's take on it, The Suburban Escapee. She always adds a bonus story in there that you'll enjoy. Homesteady is produced by me, Aust. I'm Homesteady. And my wife, Kay, who is my partner in crime and all this stuff and is now taking on a huge role in the show. I couldn't be doing what we're doing now without her help. So thanks, babe. If you're Homesteady, let us know. Hashtag your Instagram posts and all your other social media stuff. I am Homesteady. And until next time, remember, the road is rocky. Make home steady.